0: Welcome to Two Cops and a Donut. I'm your host, Dirk Mason, along with my co-host,
1: Teddy Maxwell.
0: This is a podcast about two guys who happen to be cops, ordinary dudes who happen to work in an extraordinary profession. Our goal is to bring humor to our job and to have a few laughs. We don't intend on getting into politics or bashing our profession. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy recording. Today, we're going to start with the donut of the week.
1: Yeah, and this is going to be a weekly thing we do. It's it's Two Cops and a Donut is the name of the podcast. Uh, I think it should be Two Cops and a Shitload of Donuts because we have a dozen here. <laughs> uh, Dirk, where what's the first? what are the donuts we're going to have first this week?
0: Oh, first we picked a store uh, that everybody should have in their hometown or near their hometown, Dunkin' Donuts.
1: Dunkies. I love Dunkin' Donuts. I'm from Boston, so... It's really near and dear to my heart. Love Dunkin' Donuts. Um, Can you tell
0: us what we have in the box?
1: Yeah, so went with a, a general assortment. I've got three Boston cream, and they spell cream with a K. It's typical of New Englanders to just do whatever the hell they want. Uh, <laughs> we have three sour cream, three jelly, and then a bunch of, like, Frosted and stuff like that. So, Which one are you going for? I went with the sour cream. I'm a huge sour cream fan. Um, I love... Crispy creams version of the sour cream donut. Um, finally, Dunkin Donuts up their game decided to you know add this one. So I'm going with the sour cream. What are you going with there?
0: I uh, have to go with the Boston cream because I told you earlier it closely resembles the long John, where I'm from.
1: <laughs> okay, for the listeners here that aren't familiar with the Long John, what in the hell is that?
0: Uh, I would describe it as it's like a Boston cream, but it's in a bar shaped. And still has the Bavarian cream in the center. It's a yeast-risen donut, and it has either chocolate, maple, or vanilla on top. Ooh, you nice. likey, chocolate,
1: yeah. vanilla, or maple. <laughs> um, What do you, like, donuts-wise, are you, like, a cakey donut fan, or are you, like, a... Totally yeast. You like the, the rising, the big ones. Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting, because that's what I... Well, Dunkin' Donuts was, like, growing up was, like, a... Uh, it's like a treat for us. You know, my mom, because I was poor, my mom used to buy like the $1. twenty-five, like dozen donuts at, you know, the local grocery thing. And there was this big yeasty thing. So I'm accustomed <laughs> to those for sure. Not saying I don't like them. I enjoy them.
0: Yeah. I so. grew up with just donut holes and stuff. So I really like the yeast risen ones and they're, they're more filling too.
1: Yeah, they are. They can, uh, they can hold some milk too. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that. It can hold some milk. Um, and, you know, this is something I've been meaning to bring up. Like, we discussed this before. You know this is on my mind. Like, why are cops and donuts synonymous with one another?
0: Uh, you know, I just assumed that because most cops that are seen during the day shift area era are <laughs> overweight and, like, we... <laughs> Always say that in ten years, our magazines on our belt are going to be sticking straight out. So, yeah, and
1: that, that's what we call horizontal magazine syndrome, and that is <laughs> when a mag first off a magazine for uh, that that's the proper nomenclature. You know, a lot of people call them clips. It's basically the device used to hold our bullets. Um, and a lot of times, not a lot of people know this: is that if you're overweight, then the magazines start pointing at a horizontal like out from your belt they start parallel running, to the ground <laughs> parallel to the ground and it's because a lot of police officers their guts get so big that it pushes it outward so if you start seeing your magazines kind of going in a parallel or horizontal fashion you kind of know you're maybe you should start doing a few extra sit ups maybe a few crunches maybe hit the stairmaster a little bit more yeah so. but
0: i don't understand like donuts are awesome so it's not part of my daily routine but I don't mind saying that I enjoy a donut every now and then. What about you?
1: <laughs> I love donuts. Are you kidding me? Donuts are... The sh- sh- uh, excuse me. Donuts are very, very sumptuous, delicious treats. Um, I think it's... You know, and that comes down to it, too, is that it's... I think it's something... Like, a donut... No one ever has business eating a donut, ever. I mean, look at it. There's zero nutrition. It's complete sugar. It's up there with, like, ice cream, pie, and cake. It's like... So,
0: maybe put a candle on top of it and have it for your birthday.
1: I would do that <laughs> totally. Well, I, I think too you got to think of like like a donut. Um Maybe that's just kind of like a jab at police officers cuz like who's going to eat 3 of these daily? Right. I've actually seen a couple like eat like like a bear a bear claw like, every day, but who's I mean, I've never seen a cop literally <laughs> sit down in uniform crushing like Two or three donuts. I mean, that'd be ridiculous. Like Newman and Seinfeld.
0: Pair of bear claws, please.
1: (laughs) Just tapping on the counter. (laughs) Well, turns out there's actually a real reason why cops and um, donuts are synonymous with one another. I didn't know this until arriving at Dirk's house today. Um, There's an actual reason, and Dirk's wife, uh, Lisa, decided to kind of fill us in. So she's going to be here uh, to actually kind of tell you why Donuts and cops are synonymous with one another. And then we'll move past this whole donut thing, because I feel like we've been on it for a minute.
0: Good few minutes, so. So we have my wife, Lisa, here, who explained to us uh, about donuts and cops and their relation. Can you tell us, Lisa, what what we learned?
2: No problem. So according to my sources and common folklore, uh, cops and donuts have a good relationship because... The donut factories, they open up early, early in the morning. So it's, you know, we all know that only sketchy people kind of hang out at like three, two in the morning, drunks, people that are up to no good. So it's kind of a little dangerous to open up a shop at that time.
0: And needless,
2: cops. Yeah, and <laughs> needless to say, um, they're in the back prepping the donuts and stuff, so people would get robbed, their shops would get vandalized, all kinds of problems like that. So they started a relationship with officers, providing them with free donuts, free coffee, and also it's like two in the morning. Where else are you gonna go? I mean, Seven Eleven, you know, the other gas stations. So I you mean, can
0: either get a foot long or a
2: yeah,
1: a foot long or a, exactly a donut exactly. And for for those of you that aren't aware um you can't find anything to eat at that hour i mean there's just nothing at 7 11 maybe an all-night mcdonald's but you can't really eat that so and back in you know 20 30 years ago mcdonald's wasn't an all-night thing so yeah
2: there were barely any places that were open 24 hours so to find a meal at like 2 3 in the morning 4 in the morning i mean it was Pretty much impossible so they created this relationship with officers providing with donuts hot coffee in turn having that extra security that early in the morning so it really was a benefit for the uh donut shops
0: and cops turned to caffeine and sugar for their energy the levels the
2: bare necessities <laughs> the simple bare necessities
0: well thank you lisa uh that's new knowledge we know about <laughs> why cops are consuming so many donuts on a daily basis
1: and you know that won't be the, the last time lisa comes on she's pretty informative and kind of fills us in on the dumb shit we don't know so um yeah i think she's a good addition to the show so you'll be hearing from her a lot more
0: cool thanks guys so as we continue i wanted to put in a little blurb here while we're sucking down our donuts uh we have some new coffee that we just tried this week uh it's out of cape coral florida um bones coffee i'm drinking the white russian what do you have
1: i have the bananas foster which is actually really really good i was a little hesitant to try it but it's extremely good actually and um for those of you listening bones coffee is not sponsoring us we just decided to it's kind of a a small company so we decided to throw their name out there just to, to get it out where'd you where'd you buy it by the way uh you know lisa bought it offline so um like amazon or something i'm not sure actually i'd have to
0: figure that out maybe uh we can have our listeners if there is any you know pick some up because i got the white russian and it's delicious
1: yeah bananas foster is really good too so i would i suggest that you have my seal of approval and uh that brings us to our next segment Next segment is going to be the personnel files. This is kind of where we talk about ourselves, our jobs a little bit. We're not going to reveal too much information. Um, I don't know if this comes as a surprise to anyone, but my real name is not Teddy, Teddy Maxwell. And, <laughs> and mine's uh, not Dirk Mason. Right. So you're going to get general information about being a cop and, you know, kind of our daily lives and stuff like that. Just to give you an idea, a lot of people don't know what we do. Um, at work and what we do when we go home so we're just giving you an insight so
0: and the reason is because it's so much of it is lost in what movies and that's our last topic which we're going to talk about is you know policing and movies and how it portrays in the media and all that stuff
1: and that'll be our weekly pop culture corner where we discuss that stuff Um, but Dirk you know I've got a few questions for you Um, so how long have you been a cop Uh, it's five and a half years now. Okay. Almost six. Six years, almost? Um, now, have you just been in the same department the whole time, or have you moved around, like, has the whole six years been in the same department?
0: No, it's actually three. Three, uh, different agencies so far, so.
1: Okay, and you don't have to say the city or anything, but where, what what states have you worked in?
0: Uh, Michigan, New Mexico, and
1: Colorado (laughs) right now, so. Right on, that's cool. Um, what would you say mostly because, you know, as a cop, I think every cop looks out and says that other department is going to satisfy all the needs that my current department is not filling. So what would you say is like the differences like between each department and what would you say like some of the good things and bad things are? I'd say the biggest difference
0: that I've seen in the, we'll say six years that I've been in law enforcement is that just, you know, location obviously is different pay is a huge thing um because of city size how much money your department has and then also um how many citizens are in the community because you know as people say they pay our salary which is kind of true i guess in a way
1: (laughs) fucking hate when people (laughs) say that but continue
0: yeah so um no other than that like every department is almost identical it's just the difference in the people you work with the benefits the pay and I'd say that's about it and what you do as a cop I mean your uh, your duties I guess other departments put more they weigh heavily more on patrol others don't
1: right yeah and you know I'd say with your current assignment it's, it seems pretty patrol heavy I would say is that correct or is that accurate yeah
0: it's I' uh, I'm getting that point in my career where hopefully I get to move somewhere else other than patrol, but that's where I am now. So
1: okay, you're down with the nitty gritty of society, huh? Oh yeah. Um, so like, <clears throat> you know, I hear it often. You know, I hear it on social media, hear it on the radio, on news that we get paid a ridiculous amount of money. You know what I mean? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, you don't have to give out like how much you make, but what do you think? Do you think it's commensurate with where you live, how much you're making?
0: Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> yeah. A... Uh
0: and what people don't know is that our our benefits are I mean, we pay almost ten and a half percent to what the city matches is ten and a half percent. So that's a huge chunk out of your paycheck every two weeks. Then you have your union dues or um, you know, the people that represent you.
1: Right. Yeah. Um life insurance I would assume, correct.
0: So, yeah. Life insurance. Yeah medical, all that stuff being pulled out. So
1: it seems like you have to, like in order to work this job, you have to pay a lot to be in the job. Yeah. And it's, the take home is
0: not, it's not
1: where you think it would be. Once right. they show you that yearly
0: salary, you're like, oh, that looks great. And then you get your first paycheck and you're like, where is that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Where, where's the rest going? Right. Right. No, yeah, that that's totally, uh, that sounds reasonable, man. I, <clears throat> I agree with you on that. Um, so you're on patrol, so you spend most of your time in your car, correct? Yeah. Like, how long are your shifts?
0: Right now, they're 10 hours.
1: Okay. So, you're 10 hours straight in a vehicle. Like, how often do you get out? Like, I mean, like, yeah, how often are you out? Are you out walking, looking for people on calls, like...
0: You know, you know as well as I do like it's we try to get out of our car as much as we can just because it sucks sitting in there all the time, right. but uh you know, it depends on the time of year, how busy everything is and you know, in the winter we spend more time in the car than anything. So, just yeah. because there's not a lot of calls.
1: Not a lot of calls and you're it's miserable to be out of your car, I mean, honestly. It yeah, gets so freezing. bitter cold, yeah. And that's for sure. So, um what, what is, is what is
0: before we continue, what's your insight on the whole, like, how we get paid?
1: Like, what do you think? I I, I agree with you, man. I, I remember, you know, before I took this job, I remember thinking, like, hey, this is, I make X amount of dollars. You know, let's say in somewhere in the low 50s to start, um, you know, and I was just moving to Colorado. So I, I thought that, hey, maybe I'll forego the retirement while uh, my first year on the road because i'm not gonna be making that much then i got there and then i came to find out that it was mandatory so you had no choice i had to take the ten and a half percent was taken by the city whether i wanted to or not
0: correct yeah um
1: so you know it was financially it was very difficult and you know i don't want to give an exact figure but it was i'll just say this when i first moved here um my rent was 60 percent of my take-home pay yeah and we couldn't we can't work overtime you're first year on the road, you know, right. and in the academy. So sixty percent. Um, it was difficult. It was depressing because you're really working hard. You're trying to do a good job and you feel like I'm struggling right now. Yeah. You, well,
0: you know the cost of living here in Colorado is just <laughs> crazy.
1: It's ridiculous. It's getting worse and worse too. You right. know? Um uh, I remember actually uh my first year on the road, um, like There was, uh, there was times I could like, I had to wait, like, three or four days before I could buy food. Like, so I'd eat, like, Cheetos and, you know, stuff like that, like, on the road. It was, you know, whatever the cheapest thing was, you know? Struggling. I never understood how cops have families. (laughs) That was another thing. Yeah, we
0: both don't have children, and Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's,
1: we're still living,
0: you know, day to day, week to week, and it's crazy. Yeah, it totally Mm is.
1: It totally is, man. Um... Now, I will say, um, you know, I had a supervisor once tell me, well, no one else gets matched 10.5% of their pay, which is 100% accurate. I think that's something not a lot of people realize. But, I mean, our job is risky. It's a risky job. You know, the you know I'll compare it to the military. The military, your retirement, you have to put nothing into it to, to get 50%, you know, which I kind of expected. I expected the police to be aligned somewhat with the military like the benefits and it's not like that at all not in, even close and
0: you're saying stuff from the military you you were in the military right
1: yeah i was i was yes i was i was in the army for a number of years so um yeah i i, I remember while when you started when you're in basic training you weren't making very much money um and we'll get into this at a you know later time you weren't making very much money but um, you know towards the end of my career in the military I was doing extremely well financially and a lot of that stuff like health insurance and retirement all that stuff was taken care of you know I didn't have to pay union dues you know right Because <laughs> pretty much the, the military owns your ass and there's nothing you could do if they make a decision <laughs> so yeah that, that was kind of my thing so in the district and in, in the area you work um you know I was meaning to ask you like how busy are you well, let's, say, let's say, let's say, let's start during the summer, during the summer, Friday night. How busy are you?
0: Uh, anytime. Well, we right now work in graveyard shift from 10, 10 PM to 8 AM. Initially where the area I work, the district I am is just, I'm like, you expect to have at least 10 calls pending by the time you sign in.
1: Okay. So. And when you say 10 calls pending,
0: these are people, citizens that are calling the police And they're asking for some sort of assistance. Now, not normally should I say that all of it is necessary, but people, I mean, people are calling in asking for our help. So that's what, I mean, you
1: call, we make the call, we respond. So that's just how it works. And do you work in a city that's kind of like, I've I've noticed there, excuse me, there's some cities that like, they will respond to whatever a citizen calls about citizen needs to talk they'll go you know what i mean something that's really not pol- police related i mean then there's other ones that are like uh-uh we're not doing that we're the police we're here to handle criminal things not the rest of the stuff that you're concerned about so i mean like what kind of city when you say that yeah uh, uh
0: it's our the city we work for is someone calls in we're responding. Period. Now, sergeants have the discretion sometimes to cancel the call if they're paying attention, but, you know, we're responding to 90% of every call.
1: Right. And, yeah, that's a good point you make I mean, Some sergeants just don't pay attention. Some are locked to that radio and know exactly what's going on, and some don't. Right. So, yeah, Yeah.
0: totally. If you have a good sergeant that is paying attention, you'll go to a really, you know, you'll go to calls that are really important, and you'll never have to take a crappy call just because... And when I say crappy call, I mean, like, someone calling in for a cat in the tree, something like that. Right, yeah. You know, just not what police do.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you know, personally, before becoming a cop, I never called the police one time in my life. Like, I never had to. And I'm not saying that, like, you're a bad person if you call the police. I'm just saying that it never occurred to me to call the police over things I could handle myself, like, that aren't criminal. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Even for accidents, like I've seen before I was a cop, I've seen multiple accidents on the side of the road. i never called. I just went and helped. Yeah. Said yeah. nothing.
1: Or you know? if you're involved in the accident, you say, Hey man, here's my insurance. <laughs> like, right. And
0: sometimes you don't need the cops for that stuff. If it's minor, obviously, but
1: Right. Yeah, no no injuries. Um the cars are able to drive like a fender bender. Right. Like something small. Um yeah, no, I I I've talked to people, you know, recently that have you know, confided to me and said that they thought it was the law. Like they had to call the police every time they're in an accident. I'm like, no, you don't. You really don't have <laughs> to do that. So, to any of the listeners out there, if you get into a fender bender, please, pretty please, just <laughs> exchange information with the driver. Um, I've talked to some insurance adjusters who say they tell their clients not to bother the police if it's a minor incident, but something tells me that the insurance, cl- uh, the adjusters don't do that. They say you need a police report to determine who's at fault.
0: You know, when you if you do have damage and the other person doesn't have insurance or driver's license, I totally agree with calling us because those people need a ticket.
1: Yeah, totally. So, I agree. Absolutely. Um, what else you got for me over there, Teddy? Well, I'm asking. I'm going to ask you, and this <laughs> is something too. You're a pretty fit guy. You work out. You seem fairly svelte over Not there. A-
0: When I stay away from the donuts.
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, By the way, I'm on my second donut. It's a raspberry jelly. Um, I'm going to give you my honest opinion on that. It's not as good as Krispy Kreme. I mean, I think that's like their signature is that delicious, you know, melt-in-your-mouth donut. Dunkies is not like that. It's not like that at all.
0: Yeah, I feel like that uh, maybe they should just stick with coffee and name their company something else. I really... Having the Boston cream really didn't do it for me, so...
1: Yeah, you were saying that it was pretty weak on the Bavarian cream there. Yeah, only one side. What's your second donut?
0: Uh, I might go for maybe a jelly-filled or another yeast donut with, uh, looks like, what is that, pink frosting?
1: Yeah, with pink frosting and little (laughs) D's on it to indicate Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, They're like little sprinkles or whatever. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, you're not eating donuts at work every day. No, definitely not. Like... You're in a patrol car. You said you work nights, correct? Mm-hmm. So what are you eating at night? Do you bring your own food?
0: If, I, if I'm if i hungry or if I... I mean, yeah, I'm, I always get hungry on patrol, but yeah, I always bring my own food because A, there's nothing open. B, it's either horrible 7-Eleven food like a Mountain Dew and some
1: Chex-Mex or something like that.
0: There's nothing good. No nutritional value.
1: Right. Um, You know, something I always had issues with... <laughs> When I came to bringing my own food, the patrol cars are so filthy that it's so unappetizing to eat like yeah. a really, really, you know, a properly prepared meal that you put some care and effort into and you're like, I'm eating this. It's falling on my, my, It's falling on my body armor. It's all over me um in a disgusting patrol car that 60 cops have sat in before you yeah and it completely <laughs> smells like shit i mean it's just it's disgusting so
0: yeah th- think about this people like uh there's people that are drunk that urinate in the back throw up i mean it's completely disgusting and what what do we have dividing us between that just a little thin layer of plastic and i mean, and metal <laughs> i ask and well
1: every time you put someone in the back patrol car I, they always go, why is it so uncomfortable? Because we have these hard pl- like uh, plastic seats in the back. And, you know, depending on the person, depending on how cool they are, I mean, we, we don't take joy in arresting, you know, people. You know, sometimes it's just a good person that's had a bad day. Or some you say, well, you know, if they're an asshole, you just say, well, it's because people like you keep pissing, shitting, and vomiting in the back, and we can't have fabric seats. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you have a fabric seat, that shit is going to stay there forever. Yeah, you can't clean it you can't i mean what do you do and now i just take a huge hose like one of those car wash things you find it like the Dude power washer car. yeah power washer exactly and just i mean go to town on that thing yeah and otherwise it,
0: it stinks it's nasty
1: yeah so um
0: and you were but, asking me about what i eat like yeah um i mean right now i'm trying to conserve what i eat on patrol so i'll just bring like nuts and stuff like that to work but nothing i mean i don't bring like a plate of spaghetti and meatballs and eat it in the front seat but
1: <laughs> and i think he's uh, our young dirk mason here is <laughs> currently on the keto diet
0: yeah well, broke it today eating these donuts though
1: yeah it's the once a week i'm sure you can do that yeah so. and actually i would say the keto diet's been it's been advantageous for our job because a lot of stuff you eat like cheeses nuts yeah meats. you know pre-cooked meats it's kind of easy to carry
0: definitely yeah it's since i've been on it it's been uh i've been eating a lot more at work too more calories and i feel better mm. so like you said cheese and nuts they're it's really filling too so what about you
1: yeah same here i mean i don't I, i'm i don't have a wife at home i'm single so i'm not one to like pre-prepare food or anything so like i'll just typically go to like Seven Eleven, get some beef jerky or some nuts or something and just kind of eat that Sometimes I'll like and Dirk, you, you see me. You, sometimes I'll be eating a huge <laughs> brick of cheese the size of a car battery because <laughs> I'm currently on the keto diet myself and you know hoping, just praying it's been working so far. But I'm hoping it's not like a fad diet where I just all of a sudden keel over because of too much cholesterol and fat. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, that's what I typically eat, man. Um, so, so Teddy, uh, you were talking about patrol what
0: is paperwork like what is it what's your daily i guess run through a daily routine of how
1: much paperwork you do well you know typically whenever we have to document what we do whenever anyone calls us and we have any type of uh contact with the you know the general public if someone calls in that they're getting beaten up we need to contact them we need to well first off stop whatever initial threat and make sure the scene's safe and then after that we start kind of you know, putting the pieces back together of what exactly happened. And that's through their statements, that's through physical evidence, and that's through uh, what witnesses are telling us on scene. So it's extremely paperwork-dense and paperwork-heavy. I mean, you have to document and write reports all the time. And it's not like you're, you know, like a good writer. You're not Hunter S. Thompson or... Jack Kerouac, where you're writing these, you know, adventure tales. It's very, this happened, then this happened. This happened, then this happened. It's pretty dry. It's extremely dry, and it's, you know, I've been told, you know, oh, hey, you know, write it this way so that it doesn't sound, you know, boring. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not here to fucking entertain people with it. It's supposed to be just the facts. So um, there's a lot of paperwork. Um, There's a lot in our policy that states that we will, You know, write reports for everything. We will provide services to people. Um, So there's just a ton of paperwork. A lot of it's redundant, you know. If anything, that reminds me of the military, the fucking redundancy, man. So we'll go back just to the bare bones. Mm -hmm. You
0: say, I'll give you a situation. You go to a call for two people fighting. Mm -hmm. You get there. They're separated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both show, both of them have, you know, head injuries or whatever. They're bleeding. And someone says... I saw these two fighting in the street. Regardless of what they were fighting over, they were punching each other. What is your start from, okay, you're going to write a ticket, or what's your paperwork like from that call?
1: Well, um, so in that case, you know, I would just imagine that would be a typical uh, disorderly conduct call. You know, two people mutually fighting in the street. We have a witness saying that, you know, this happened. You know, maybe they're not excuse me, they're not involved in the incident. So, you know, and the physical evidence suggests that they were both fighting. I mean, they were both beat up. Right. Yep. So in that case, you know, especially with our department and how busy we are, it's not, and you know, it all depends on their attitude too. If they both said, Hey, yeah, we were fighting. Um, you know, we're both in a separate and go our separate ways. I might just issue them both disorderly conduct tickets, which is the same as being arrested. It's a summons. It's saying you will go to court and you will answer for the charges, which would be disorderly conduct.
0: Um, well, let me stop you. So, a common thing that you hear on on the street is, when you first arrive, someone is always approaching you, and they're saying, "What? I want to press charges." What? Do, what? Do, what are they even talking about?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, in that case, and in, in, that's typical. Like what I was just saying was probably like the biggest softball call ever. <laughs> it's never like that. You usually have someone doing the crazy dance, running up to you, screaming at the top of their lungs that they want to press charges because they were assaulted, and. Sometimes that's the case, and sometimes you know it was a mutual fight, and one guy got his ass kicked, and the other one basically won. And it's, um, so in that case, yes, you're you're 100% right. It's never clear cut like that, it's always convoluted, it's always annoying as fuck. Um, so, (laughs) and you know, that's the thing, and you you hear it, you know, Dirk, you hear it all the time. You know, they say cops are not very trusting of people because you'll never get a straight answer out of someone. No, they always say that there's. Their truth, the other person's truth, and somewhere in the middle lies the real truth, right? So, so So yeah. So you show up.
0: Both Mm -hmm. people are fighting. They admit to you, "Hey, we were both fighting." Mm -hmm. You know, we get what we deserve.
1: Yeah, cut them. Come with summons for disorderly conduct. Send them on their way. But you know, a lot of the times, there's the emotion gets into it for those people, and then you're like, they one of them has to go to jail, or both have to go to jail because they're so emotional, they're so reckless with what they're doing that um, they're gonna have to go to jail to basically calm down and be separated and not be in public if they're gonna continue that and very rarely have I ever seen like a mutual fight that didn't involve drugs or alcohol you know with adults
0: so you're thinking like um, if they're if both parties are calm you write each one of them a ticket so that's your their own oh. sep- piece uh, their own excuse me you have to write two separate pieces of uh, information right. down. They both get a ticket, and then what do you do after that?
1: After that, if they're not going to jail, then I just read a very detailed report with all of the information I got from the witnesses, from what I saw, my own observations, and how I came to the conclusion that there was probable cause to charge someone with a crime.
0: Uh Uh-oh, probable cause. That's another topic.
1: Yeah. Look in the dictionary (laughs) for probable cause. Look online. Like, you can ask a lawyer, and sometimes they're like, I don't even know what probable cause is. You know, it's... You know, the you know, way I've always gone with it is more probable than not, you're the one that caused whatever mayhem just happened or whatever crime that just occurred. Right. So it's not beyond reasonable doubt. That's something that you deal with in court. It's not, you know, so. So you write both
0: of them tickets. You write a detailed report of what happened. Mm-hmm. This is including witnesses, statements, and both subjects who got the, the summons, the ticket, right?
1: Yeah, I'll take each side of their story put it in there it's non-biased like i don't care who you know who goes who gets charged and who doesn't i take the information that's given to me and then i come to a conclusion it's not an emotional one it's it's business it's the way it works it's like any other job you just have to make a decision you know and what we do out on the street and that is
0: we take our probable cause put it into a you know our statements and say hey this was a crime for (laughs) your state or city uh, codes yeah you issue the summons and then it's gets resolved in court not necessarily what you determine out on the street happens in <laughs> beyond that
1: right right and you know and we say loosely they'll you know, put it make you know place all the statements put it in an articulate report i've read some dog shit reports from officers and <laughs> you know officers come from all you know walks of life there are some that are highly educated i know officers with phds and they chose this job for some type of calling i know officers that have bachelors they have masters i know officers that just came straight from the military or some that just got in after high school and you can tell i mean you can tell who's going to write the best report you know you read it and you say i think i have an idea of this guy's background you know because some of them are just strung together (laughs) non-sequential just you know I don't know, was that movie, that Pixar movie? Ooh, look, squirrel. Like, I mean, it's kind of like that, you know?
0: <laughs> so, in any given day, uh, like I said before, we have sometimes 10 calls pending by the time we start. So, uh, what we're saying is is that you possibly could have 10 reports even before, within the first hour of your patrol duties.
1: Yeah, to the most, I mean, you document every call you've gone on, you know, it could be with a brief um, clearance, you know, just, Hey, this is who I contacted or whatever. But if you're going to do an actual detailed, um, you know, police report, then yeah. I mean, the most I think I've ever written was seven, which is a lot in one day. It's, I mean, these are three, four pages, you know what I mean? In so a,
0: in a 10 hour period, in a
1: 10 hour period. Correct. Yeah. The most calls I've ever taken in a day was, uh, I believe it was 24, 25, which is a busy day. I mean, I know people are like. You literally are, like, on a scene, and something more important will come up, and you have to, like, run to your car to go to the next one.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a crazy day that no one wants to be involved with either, you're just overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, you're overwhelmed. You're like, why the fuck did I take this job? This sucks, you know? I'm, I'm walking off. <laughs> you know, I'm placing my badge on the Watch Commander's desk. This is bullshit. Like, you know, you have those thoughts, and you're just like, God, like i walk off then something bad could happen you know right and those busy days man those are kind of what i guess makes you into a, an efficient police officer if there is one i don't know if there are any
0: man yeah, probably not
1: yeah. but uh the efficiency is documenting all your
0: all your reports that you have and making sure like you don't put emotion and stuff into it as well because if you get tied to it then it's just gonna
1: ruin you yeah, and, I, you know, Derek, I, you've been emotional on calls. I have. Yeah. It's really hard to scale that back, you know, because we're humans. You know, and, you know that comes across a lot of times. We're a badge and a uniform and a gun, and it's we're human beings, you know. Like, all the shit that goes on in your life during the day, and then you have to come to work and then deal with other people's shit. I know in the abstract, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, and I always say, oh, that'd be easy to handle. But I'm telling you, that shit just adds up. Yeah, definitely. So... Yeah, that's kind of the date, you know, it's kind of, you know, those are a few talking points we wanted to just bring up and, you know, not very sequential, but, you know, we thought we'd just bring up a few things. And I know these are a lot of questions that people have out there. So, you know, weekly, we'll be talking about things like this. So,
0: yeah, now that comes to our, I guess, next point is if you guys have questions and you're listening, we do have a uh, Instagram account, two cops and a donut. Uh, if you want to message us and ask questions, we can answer them on our podcast
1: that's true and we have an email it's uh two cops and a donut at gmail.com and that's two cops and a donut is spelled out so give you a heads up on that if you have any questions we can totally address them on this show so yeah and what do we got next well um we're gonna go i'm actually really happy about this. this is the only reason i'm on this fucking podcast is uh where you're gonna go to our pop culture corner And our Pop Culture Corner is going to be a weekly event where we basically bring up um, policing in movies. Hollywood. Hollywood, yeah, because that's always correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're going to get to pop culture, and we'll do that as a weekly thing. Um, I'm a movie nerd. I know Dirk enjoys the cinema as well. Love movies. So we're going to be talking about that, and that's coming up next. Next. This week on Pop Culture Corner.
2: He is a criminal's worst nightmare. A cop who enjoys the danger. No guns, no jujitsu, just bring him down. Do you really wanna
1: jump? Well then that's fine with me. Come on. Wait, I what do you it, mean? Wait I a minute, Dor! He was ready to retire. No, he's gonna
2: wish
0: he had. Gun! Oh! oh, oh. Raj, meet your new partner. New partner? (laughs) Too
2: old for this. If these guys can just stand each other... What you got in there? Boy and Smith? A lot of old-timers carry those. The bad guys don't stand a chance. Don't kill anybody.
0: As as you say you are, nobody can touch me.
2: Suppose we better register you as a lethal weapon. You ever met anybody you didn't kill? Well, I haven't killed you yet.
1: That is right. You heard it correctly. Lethal Weapon. i, I got to be honest, I have an erection right now. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Lethal Weapon is a 1987 buddy cop action film directed by Richard Donner, produced by Joel Silver, and written by Shane Black. It stars Mel Gibson when he was still Australian, Danny Glover, and Gary Busey before he lost his goddamn mind. And just a quick talking point, uh, Shane Black was about 23, 24 years old when he sold this script, so... It impresses me. It's just an excellent piece of writing for a movie. You know, at the time they weren't really putting a lot of effort into the storylines, and I I thought they had a lot of interesting um, plots in this story. I thought it was great. So, you know, and I got Dirk. I'll I'll ask you just straight up. This is something we're going to be going over weekly. So you have to tell me where does this rank on your (laughs) all-time cop movies?
0: Uh, I love Lethal Weapon. I is it. Is it real? No. But I just,
1: the action and everything that they go through together, awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, okay, first off, you know, because for me, I'm going to give you a resounding yes to this answer if you ever ask me, but does this influence you ever, like, when you were a young child to be like, that's what I want to do when I grow up? Oh,
0: hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It has all the stuff in it that you want to do and all the
1: stuff that you don't see (laughs) behind the scenes. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Like, oh, hey, no. you know, let's go you know, you go out and like you kill a bad guy and then there's no paperwork involved. Awesome. It seems like there's no investigation. There's just uh you have free will to go do whatever you please. Back out on the street within several minutes. Yeah, not even <laughs> not even days. You know, hey, don't take a day for yourself to maybe relax and unwind. <laughs> you know, let's just get back out in the street. So um What do you think about it? I mean obviously you, know, you like it. <laughs> my thing is I love how they did it in this movie, and I wonder if it's one of the first ones they did it in. But I love the backstory they give to these things. You know, for example, like one of the the parts in it is uh, right when Riggs and Murtaugh. So Danny Glover plays um, Murtaugh, and uh, Mel Gibson plays Riggs. Um, so one of the things I love about it is when they first meet. Uh, <laughs> Danny Glover is just casually reading off Riggs's personnel file. And the personnel file has all of these top secret things, you know, from the Department of Defense in it. Things like, oh, so, you know, it says here you were an assassin. You know, you're working in the Phoenix Project doing real assassination type stuff. And I'm sure the police department would just love that, right? Oh, you're an assassin? Here's a badge and a gun. <laughs> of course. Go out into the public. Um, I just think it's ridiculous how they do that in a good way. I think it's awesome. I mean, that was always my dream is that, you know, some guy would have a file of mine, half of it redacted, you know, basically (laughs) saying it did all this cool shit. Um, But, yeah, you know, I love that. Um, I got to say, like, you know, there are detectives in it. And if you go from real-life detective to detective in this movie, you know, there's no investigation following anything. I mean, yeah, you see him driving around, you know, but, you know, I love it as a fan, but, you know, it's kind of not the way being a detective's life, you know, it's not the real thing. I mean, if you go through it, it's like first four hours, you know, you're answering emails, maybe looking at some photos. Next four hours, you know, you're debating with the other detectives on whether you're going to get Chick-fil-A, Jimmy John's, or Witch witch for lunch.
0: <laughs> now, do you think back in... You said it was 87, this movie was. Yeah. What do you think makes it different from now to... I mean, <laughs> maybe they're portraying
1: it. Uh, cops in the 80s are a little different. Like, what do you think about that? Well, even now, I mean, you get into the 90s, look at... What's it called? Look at uh, John McClane from Die Hard. I mean, that guy's blown up city blocks. <laughs> and you don't ever see him do a shred of paperwork. And zero, absolute zero oversight and zero repercussions for anything he does. Um, so... I mean, probably now with movies like End of Watch or something, it's a little bit more realistic, you right. know? Um, and, and we will definitely
0: get into those movies later, but...
1: Yeah. Um, you know, and that was, you know, it brings me to my next thing. Um, one of the things I absolutely just love about this movie, you have this whole build-up to the end where, you know, Murtaugh is going out. He, his daughter gets kidnapped. Um, these drug dealers kidnap his daughter he goes out, they find her, and then when they're going to get Gary Busey's character, who is Mr. Joshua, they find him. They find him at Murtaugh's house, and instead of arresting him, fucking Riggs has some type of old-timey <laughs> bare-knuckle boxing match, shirtless. And, in the front yard. Yeah, in the front yard, and like all these cops are showing up, and instead of... First off, Mr. Joshua had just murdered two police officers in front of the house. Like, just... Shot them in the head. And instead of rendering aid, perhaps, to those police officers, (laughs) they start like a half circle, and they start like spectating this bare-knuckle boxing match. I mean, it's awesome. I I love how, again, I would say every police officer on that scene, uh, I'd say Murtaugh, because he basically takes command or whatever. I just did air quotes, by the way, because that's fucking ridiculous. (laughs) And Riggs, they're all basically watching them you know, instead of arresting the suspect and bringing him to justice, they're like, "Ah, eh, we'll just fucking beat the shit out of this guy. We'll just watch. Yeah. Yeah, and the rest are just watching. Completely, um, like, there's so much liability there. It's unbelievable. As a cop, you see that, but in the movie, you're like, yes, that is the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen.
0: And and at one point in the scene, I remember, because I watched the movie last night to refresh so I, my yeah. memory, but at one point, I remember them throwing uh, rigs of a ton in the middle of it
1: totally totally uh threw him a baton because gary busey was swinging around some huge two by four or something at him and uh uses the baton as a some way to a blocking mechanism to, <laughs> yeah stop the onslaught of whatever he was swinging at him um yeah i just love that i mean it seemed like if this was you gotta look at it both ways like if this is how it really was i mean fuck our society would be an absolute nightmare of course yeah it's cool to dream <laughs> It's cool to be like, oh, hey, that'd be really, really cool if I could just go out and kick some ass, get rid of the bad guys, and no one would blink an eye at it. <laughs> but that's just not a, that's just not. Um, What's yeah. your favorite scene in the movie? Oh, my God. The jump scene, man. Love the jump scene. Because you had <laughs> Martin Riggs, right? Who's fucking on the edge. I think before that, he was in his trailer. On the beach, you know, deciding whether he's going to take his 9 millimeter Beretta and he's going to suck start it, you know, <laughs> with a hollow point. So, like, he's super depressed, right, suicidal himself, and he has this dude who's ready to jump off a building. And the guy's well-dressed. He looks like he's wearing, like, an Italian suit. He's got, like, rings on. And it looks like he's, like, a guy that might have just lost his job near Christmas or something. Yeah. They so, don't really get into it, I don't think. No. And, um, <laughs> again, I don't know what kind of what, – you know hostage negotiation or you know um what type of training any detective would have gone through to be like hey i'm gonna step out on the ledge there and smoke a cigarette with you and like zero officer safety (laughs) you know Uh, but i love that part i love that uh yeah just the way he's like
0: well he's crazy too yeah he's
1: crazy too right and the guy you know basically brings him to his level of crazy and then martin riggs steps it up a notch
0: yeah, he's just like, uh, he, I like how honest he is with the guy, too, because, I mean, I remember in the scene where he goes to the guy, he's like, hey, man, my boss is down
1: here, and I'm yeah. just trying to do a good job, so let's get down from here. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, you know, my boss is down, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the guy softens a little bit, he goes, oh, okay, you know, like, well, you're not going to try anything, right? And uh, I think that's when Martin Riggs decides to cuff him to the guy, which is like, I can't imagine. Just It's so reckless, dude. I mean, we're getting to the level of like John Wick-esque shit in a movie, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, actually, it's Martin Riggs that decides to jump off the side of the building. So, And the, at the end, he's, the guy's like, you're crazy. You're the crazy one. And he's laughing his ass off. So. Right. And, you know, that's something I'd like to bring up, too. I think it's really cool in this movie is that Shane Black wrote in a lot of, like, comical type things, like... If you look at, like, other movies where you have, like, an alcoholic cop, it's just so fucking depressing. There's no, like, levity to, like, make it, you know, somewhat enjoyable to watch, you know?
0: Yeah, there's, uh, like, one of the movies uh, with Bruce Willis when he's older, like, 16 16 blocks.
1: blocks. Dude, I was just thinking about that. Yeah. First all, the movie sucked balls. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, he's, like, a drunk-ass detective who's, like, sitting behind a desk doing paperwork. Yeah, can't stay sober with...
0: (laughs) In, in, <laughs> within a day to do normal things
1: yeah I mean so what would be your favorite part of this movie uh,
0: one of my favorite parts is the actual first shooting scene that Riggs gets into before he's even
1: introduced to All Danny Christmas Buffer. trees when he's on the Christmas tree lot
0: yeah he's doing his uh, undercover narcotics steal mm-hmm. and uh, the best part about the whole thing is the he slaps the badge down and they're like nah that's not real and he's like oh you want to see real and he's they're like, oh, you're crazy, man. he starts smacking his face and does the Larry, Moe, and Curly thing and smacks them, and then he draws his gun. He's like, hey, this is a real fucking gun, (laughs) and it's a real badge, and I'm a real fucking cop. Yeah. And to bring it up, my next point is, like, that's, like, the... That's... I'm gonna ask uh, Teddy here in a second, but that's my favorite scene because it's, like, one of the most... It's, like, the most real scene, but yet kind of crazy, too, because he does... A distraction to be able to draw his gun because I think he knows it's going south at that mm. point. So he smacks them, draws his gun, and he now he has the upper hand. So
1: yeah, you can see after the shooting starts, like his cover pulls up. You know, they're not there with him. It's him against like four dudes. Right. So yeah, know I'd have to agree with that. now I love how he kind of puts in the the Three Stooges thing because you can tell. After seeing... Like, he watches a lot of TV. Right. And they, they have some edited versions of the movie where you see him. I think he breaks his TV in some way. And, like, it's one of the most important things to him. The dude is constantly watching TV. And you'll notice during the, the range scene when he shoots, the, you know, the smiley face. Oh, yeah. End of the paper. He's he's humming... I think it's, like, the dating game. I think he's humming the, the song for the dating game.
0: Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah.
1: Like, he's doing it as it goes down. He's looking at Murtaugh, kind of like, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Um, but you could tell, like... He's because his wife's dead now. Mm-hmm. Um, he just sits on his couch watching TV and getting fucked up, yeah. And, and that's why he's so depressed to begin with, yeah. He's lonely, yeah. He's lonely. And actually, in a, uh, another cut, uh, like director's cut version, they had one where he picks up prostitutes and pays them to come watch TV with him. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's I saw it a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, he'll pay prostitutes like a hundred bucks or whatever. He gives them a hundred bucks, and he's like, just you come over and watch TV with me just so he has someone just so he has like yeah someone there like a warm body or you know someone he can just be around
0: it's kind of sad yeah it is uh and unfortunately there's on um, this depressing note but we're not going to bring them too far into this but yeah there's people like that out there now mm-hmm. so um not anybody that i know but i'm sure there are,
1: are you talking cops or just people yeah both oh, cops yeah sure huh. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a depressing job to begin with, and then you add in your own personal shit, and then it gets even worse, you know? Um,
0: what did you say, like I said, the my favorite part of the distraction technique in that scene, what's the most realistic part of that movie to
1: you, as in your career? I, it's none of it. <laughs> to me, none of that's like, I mean, I, I can't imagine a scenario in which, I would say probably the most realistic thing is when, um, Murtaugh is sitting at his desk for, like, the five minutes he does in the entire goddamn series. Like, <laughs> the seven to eight hours of um, the aggregate that those movies cover, uh-huh. like, that's the one time he's at his desk. Right. Like, sitting there, like, it looks like he's, like, flipping through paperwork. That's the most realistic thing. I wish I could say it was when Murtaugh, like, hip-tosses him or they go to that house in Beverly Hills to go like, do a follow-up to, like, you know, try to find, like, a drug dealer or something. Some actual investigation. Yeah, an actual <laughs> investigation. Like, like they get shot at, and then, you know, they end up blowing the dude away and kicking him <laughs> into a pool. Right. <laughs> um, it just absolutely gives him, like, a front to the chest, and he goes flying into the pool. Oh, no, he shoots him, and he falls in the pool. That's yeah. correct, yeah. Does it? <laughs> um, I wish I could say that was fucking realistic, but... because. After that, the follow-up scene to that is Riggs is inside the guy's house watching a college football game on TV, <laughs> like.
0: In Murtaugh's act, he's a sergeant in the movie, correct? Yeah, yeah,
1: he's a sergeant, and, and, and Riggs is a detective. Yeah, and as which, we <laughs> to give you, as a child growing up, a sergeant is a grade above detective. So,
0: and as you know, sergeants, I mean, there's some sergeants on the road today that will get into stuff, but most of the time they're they're reviewing and like reports that we write. I mean yeah, they're not troll, out sure. They're not going out doing their own investigations unless they are
1: they have to, you know. Right. Yeah. You know, is there any you know, one of the things I did notice doing that I think this is fucking hilarious is uh, you know, Mel Gibson just came off the heels of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Hmm. Which kind of what like got him started in like the late seventies, early eighties was he was doing the Mad Max movies in Australia. And Gibson was born in New York, but he I guess he moved to Australia when he was a kid. Okay. So, <laughs> come 1985, he's straight up Aussie. You know what I mean? Does that. And then he goes to Lethal Weapon like a year later. I'm sure they must have just like filmed in tandem right after that. Because um, uh, Beyond Thunderdome was 1985. And Lethal Weapon was released in 1987. So, they're relatively close. Yeah. And no Australian accent. I thought that was impressive. Yet... We'll probably get into *Lethal Weapon 2* at a later time. His fucking Australian accent is so goddamn thick in that movie; it's ridiculous. <laughs> I wonder what changed. Like, did he go on like vacation to Australia like for a right, years? Yeah, like right before filming *Lethal Weapon 2*. Um, I always thought that was like a really funny thing. Um, and uh, you know, on a lighter note, I think it's 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 interesting to mention that. You know, I was in the army. I was I was a Green Beret. I was Army Special Forces, and. My best childhood friend growing up was obsessed with this movie, like fucking obsessed with this movie to the point where he always wanted to be like a renegade cop where he would go special forces, get into a lot of shit overseas, you know, and like Riggs was like Vietnam. You know what I mean? Yeah. My buddy, Afghanistan and Iraq and stuff, you know, and then he wanted to become an LAPD cop. He wanted to buy a trailer and live on the beach like (laughs) Martin Riggs. Right. And I always asked him, I was like, dude, are you going to do it? fucking did it <laughs> moves to LA becomes an LAPD cop I asked him I was like do you have a trailer on the beach I was like you gotta like round this whole thing out oh god yeah he tells me <laughs> finally he goes no he's like I checked Zuma and like Latigo Beach where I I don't know them that well but I guess those are like the beaches where you could have a trailer on the beach and he's like easy, like a, like not even a double wide, like half a million dollars to live there. <laughs> so as a cop, he can't even afford to live in a fucking trailer on the beach. I mean, like a goddamn hobo, <laughs> like Martin Riggs. So he's like, you know, best... Well, I'd say best two out of three on that one. Yeah. Leberet, LAPD, like, you know, I think he's a detective now too, so... Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think his life, you know, quite matched up to what he thought. Not as crazy or... Not as crazy, no. Uh-huh. And um,
0: they... Riggs was in the movie. He was special forces, right? That's how yeah. they uh, identified Gary Busey. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> We've brought that up before. Like, what? You know, Roger, that's a special forces tattoo. I guess the kid notices the tattoo on his arm during yeah. the explosion. I mean, it was exactly
0: that t- tattoo, and he's like, "Yeah,
1: Raj." <laughs> which is. First off, I don't recognize maybe that was for like a specific unit in SF. Yeah, when I say SF on here from here on out, it's going to mean Special Forces. Um maybe that was like like you might get a unit tattoo. First off, getting a Special Forces tattoo is the douchiest thing you could fucking do. Like no guys will do that because So you don't have one? No. <laughs> no, I would never get a Special Forces tattoo. It's first off, you're supposed to be like the quiet professional. You're supposed to be Not have any markings on you that would indicate that you're... What if you were to, you know, overseas and you got caught or something? Like, it's an easy way to identify. Oh, hey, you're a Green Beret. You're Special Forces. You must have a lot of knowledge. Let's pull your fingernails out. (laughs) (laughs) That's like getting a thin blue line tattoo. It's as douchey as that. Yeah. And I'm sorry to any cops that might be listening, but that's fucking douchey.
0: It's stupid. Yeah. Just because of the whole reason behind it. You get... I mean, it's easy to someone could identify you while well, you're shopping at Costco. I mean, cr- criminal shop.
1: So, yeah, I mean, we made light of it, but you I mean, as a cop, you're kind of a target, you know, even out there in like the real world, right. You know? So, um, yeah, I, I just love it. Like overall love the movie. It, definitely as a child, it piqued my interest into becoming a cop and a police officer. I, th- I thought it was really cool. Um, I can't say enough about this movie. Uh, Yeah, do you have anything else to add? I do.
0: I uh, I got a question for you. Sure. uh, Danny Glover always says
1: he's too old for this shit, right? So, (laughs) how old is he in the movie? Like his age uh, for the character in real life? Both. I mean, so um, you know, and I think Lisa might have mentioned this before. He's like fifty. Like at the beginning, he's like sitting in the bathtub. His kids bring in a cake. Like, happy 50th, Raj, you know, and he's got like the beard, and his girl, his daughter says, shave the beard, it makes you look old. Right. So he's supposed to be 50. Um, but I mean, he had like his sorry, guys, but he had abs sitting
0: in that tub. Like, he oh, dude was he in didn't... shape. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was
1: doing his Pilates. Um, he's, I think... I, no, he's 41, I guess, when the movie was filmed, which is not something you see. Usually it's older playing younger in movies, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you brought that up because, like, Danny Glover's constantly in the movie, like, stating his age and experience to Martin Riggs, who I think is pretty much the same age, (laughs) or, like, close to it. Yeah, and I'm not sure what they portray his age
0: in that movie, but I know, like, he's actually, uh, he's 30, 31 in the movie. Oh, is that how old he's supposed to? Oh, wait, wait. He's actually 31, but I don't know what his, what is, like, he's portraying. No, he's only 31 in that movie? 31.
1: Oh wow, he was looking kinda of like rough around the edges. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's interesting. But in the movie, if you go like war timelines, like Danny Glover mentions so it's supposed to, let's say it's supposed to be nineteen eighty seven, right? Uh-huh. Danny Glover says, she goes, Do you know who Michael Hunsecker is? You know, one of the main, you know, antagonists in the movie whose daughter dies at the beginning. Right. And he goes, Yeah. And at one point he goes, How do you know him? He goes, ah, Vietnam, you know, Ia Drang Valley, which was the first battle um, of the first official battle of Vietnam, you know, with uh, American troops and I think it was the NVA, the North Vietnamese Army. Okay. And that's the movie We Were Soldiers, which coincidentally Mel Gibson played Colonel Hal Moore. Right. Um, so that was the battle he was talking about. Yadring yeah, Valley. And he says, Michael Hunsacker took a bayonet in the lungs for me or something. <laughs> like, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then later in the movie, uh, Martin Riggs says, oh, you're General peter mccallister from shadow company which all right, how cool is that right um and he goes i rented some of those shadow company pussies in saigon back in 69 so i mean dude like their age is really yeah but he you know danny glover acts like mel gibson's like 20 yeah like a 20 year old and he's like 50 you know right. like so i always thought that was kind of funny too and you know and you come to find out i think it was in the third or fourth one where they're both like you could see the age they're both right. old you know i didn't know he was 31 that's cool it's cool snippet I didn't yeah that. i
0: have one more for you uh that i immediately noticed as soon as uh, danny glover got suited up for the the morning shift his cross draw and his holster <laughs> placement <laughs> i i can't tell you enough how uh i mean maybe in the 80s they did that but i mean nowadays you'd get slapped like for being an idiot like what are you doing
1: yeah, it's like the wild, wild west. It's like the quickest draws, the crossbody draw, like, right? Like the quick and the dead with Leonardo DiCaprio, you know.
0: Well, and I think even in the eighties is when like they started developing like the isosceles and all that type of draw stroke <laughs> going on. And Danny Glover still resorts back to his old, you know, because
1: he's too old for this shit. <laughs> he's doing the cross draw, yeah, and with a revolver <laughs> and with the neck roll. You know, he does the neck roll to kind of loosen up his neck. It's oh his, yeah. it's like his thing. He does it like two or three times. No, that's interesting. Like, and I think Martin Riggs says it too. He's like, "What are you carrying?" <laughs> well, he says, "What do you carry?" He's like, "Ooh, some pretty heavy hardware." And I'm telling you, a nine millimeter Beretta is not heavy hardware by any means. It's it's literally heavy like a brick. Yeah, the thing is like a fucking <laughs> cinder block in your hand. Yeah, I think you know, I had it in the army. That was like my side arm was a nine millimeter Beretta M9, and that thing sucked. Yeah, it's, Italian company Beretta. Um, it's heavy. The the grip, I can barely fit my sausage fingers around it. I mean, the thing is so bulky. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm going to throw out some numbers here. I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but I, I believe in, um, was it double action? It was 10 to 15 pounds of pressure. Sounds about right. For the, the trigger pull, which yeah. is ridiculous. And then when you get into single action, it would go down to three pounds. So it's like how, like your follow-up shots would be all over the place unless you got a lot of practice. Yeah. But getting back to Glover and that cross, I noticed that too, man. Like, and Martin Riggs says it. He goes, "What are you carrying?" He says, 4 inch Smith, like four-inch barrel Smith and Wesson six shooter." Like, you could tell his age is showing, you know.
0: And that—that's maybe why they wanted to portray his age to make it like he was too old for it, because
1: he's still carrying all that stuff, you know. Yeah. So this one was 87. I think the one was the last one made. The last one was made in like the late 90s. Yeah, I'd have to even look that up. Um, yeah. You're talking about Lethal Weapon 4, right? That was the last one. Shit, there was a fourth one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it was, I want to say, late 90s. So you, you got Danny Glover, you know, ostensibly he's in his like early 60s, which isn't uncommon nowadays. Like we have a lot of police officers in the early 60s, especially if you're like a detective or sergeant or something.
0: So I just looked it
1: up. Lethal Weapon
0: 4 came out in 98.
1: So, 11 years. So, he's in his 60s, and then... But at that time, too, you know, in those later movies, Riggs is kind of like...
0: Yeah, he's... I mean, he's 31, supposedly, in the movie, just mm-hmm. from...
1: So, that would make him, what, after... In 98. Yeah. Uh, that that would make him, what, 42? Yeah. But, he, God, Mel Gibson, he's having a rough, rough... <laughs> uh, you know, he's having a rough go at it, I guess, at that age. I don't know. Yeah. But... Lethal Weapon, ladies and gentlemen. Love that movie. Um, we're gonna get into some other ones coming up next week. Uh, any talking points. So anything you think we missed, you can feel free to email us at twocopsandadonut at gmail.com and on Instagram Two Cops and a Donut. Two Cops and a Donut. There yeah. you go. Um, Alright, we're gonna be concluding this episode pretty soon. Uh, we're gonna finish up with our call of the week. This is going to be a weekly call where we kind of go over some basic information of a patrol officer on the street and kind of the stuff he deals with. And again, this isn't going to be anything crazy. No politics. We're not going to speak negatively about the job. Typically, hopefully it'll be funny. So yeah, that's coming up next.
0: And I just want to add that these are real calls and we did not make any, any of this information up. All the stuff that we have in the call of the week are real and these are calls that either i or uh teddy have been on
1: so yeah (laughs) they're ridiculous you're not going to believe them a lot of times they'll say how could someone act that way but we're we're going to change some names of some streets and we're not going to put anyone's personal info out there it's nothing like that and it's just kind of like the funny calls we go on okay so that's coming up next And now we have Teddy Maxwell and Lisa Mason presenting the Call of the Week.
2: And we've reached Call of the Week. And this one's titled, The Hawk and the Rabbit. At 1443 hours, suspicious situation. Reporting party advises that there's a large crowd gathered near the intersection of Grandview and Fairfax. Reporting party advises that a bird is killing a bunny. Reporting party advises that the bird keeps picking up the bunny and dropping it. This is not a metaphor. This is a legit call. Bunny rabbit is actually a rabbit. Name is protected to protect his identity. And the hawk is actually a hawk. Can you tell us a little more about that?
1: Yeah, so (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just so ridiculous for me to like, that was a call i actually responded to a couple years ago um we got that call and when i heard large crowd gathering you figure something criminal something Something huge something huge is going on yeah uh in this case it was literally um a hawk there's a lot of hawks around here picking Mm -hmm. up a bunny rabbit um flying 70 80 feet in the air and dropping it on the concrete (laughs) and evidently this fucking bunny rabbit just wouldn't die like it was like writhing in pain on the ground
2: did it and, make any sounds or anything or
1: you know by the time i got there the rabbit was dead oh
0: okay. um
1: and i'm not making light of it it's just funny that like people think it's necessary to call the police because a hawk is picking up a bunny rabbit and dropping it like you when you know grow up in a, up in new england you see like seagulls picking up clams and dropping them to, yeah. s- to smash them open to eat the insides like this is c- kind of the same scenario
2: That's so interesting. So this hawk is literally swooping down, picking up this rabbit, taking it way up in the air, and dropping it over and over and over. And this is how the call comes out to you?
1: Yeah, and and like ostensibly, I think the hawk, his idea, I mean, I'm not a bird, so I don't know, was to kill the rabbit and then eat it. Uh, But this fucking rabbit had some fight in it. It was like the Rasputin of the animal kingdom. The thing was like, you have to shoot, poison, hang it. Like This thing would not die. But by the time I got there to it was on its last leg. Uh, the crowd screamed. Not the lucky one, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, it was about to die, and there's a crowd gathered, and they're screaming at the police to do something. And as I recall, another officer unseen, I mean, like, quote, unquote, said, Lady, it's either the hawk or the rabbit. <laughs> one of them is going to die, right? Like, you can't ask us to kill a hawk. I don't think it's an endangered bird or anything, but we're not going to shoot a hawk who's basically, you know, Doing what they're born to do. They eat rabbits and rats and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's funny because literally watching a police officer who, had, at that time, I was pretty new, um, listening to a police officer explain the food chain to like a <laughs> bunch of people in public is like absolutely ridiculous. So, um, and the conclusion of that call was uh, the public eventually dispersed once they realized that the hawk was gonna, gonna kill and eat this rabbit. And, uh, yeah, Yeah, the hawk took off. I mean, the hawk literally flew away with, like, I don't know how much rabbits weigh, but this was a big one, like a five-pound rabbit.
2: Yeah, they're huge out here.
1: (laughs) And his talons, and flew away, and I assume uh, had a pretty decent meal out of that guy. So, So that is the call of the week, though.
2: Wow, victory for the hawk and poor bunny, but, you know, sometimes that happens that way, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people probably expected this one to be a, uh, you know, we showed up and there was a guy with a gun, but sorry, it was a hawk eating a rabbit.
2: Right. It's kind of Mother Nature, and that's just how the cookie crumbles, I guess.
1: Yeah, and this is for those of you people out there. If you see, like, an animal call, I mean, particularly that, like, what are the police going to do? Like, really?
2: I mean, technically it is a murder, but, I mean, it's more or less for (laughs) the survival of the hawk. So it's, you know, not really... Illegal legal murder or anything. No, and that's what that officer open. said.
1: Like, if you want us to intervene, one of those things is going to end up dead eventually.
2: Right, and like, what is even if animal control gets called out there, what are they going to do? Take the hawk away from his food?
1: Yeah, and I think a hawk is probably a little too quick for animal control.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't so. tangle with that. They got some sharp talons.
1: Yeah. So that's this week on Call of the Week.
2: Well, thank you so much for sharing. How Thanks, interesting.
1: so I appreciate it. Well, that's going to be the conclusion for this week. This is this week's episode. Dirk, how are you feeling, man?
0: I feel like shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, just a heads up. We ate pretty much every single donut. Like I said, it should be changed from two cops and a donut to two cops and a shitload of donuts. My belly is full of Bavarian cream and raspberry jam. I'm not feeling that great.
0: So what do we have next week?
1: Uh, next week, we're going to continue our podcast. What we have going? Every week's going to be the same, pretty much, in terms of Donut of the Week. We're going to go over Personnel Files. We're going to have the Pop Culture Corner. Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz is going to be the one for next week. Um, and then we're going to finish off with the Call of the Week. Um, don't forget to email us at 2copsandadonut at gmail.com And that's spelled T-W-O for two, not the numeric two. So 2 cops and a donut at gmail.com And our Instagram is
0: the same two cops and a donut
1: email us we'll get back to you so that's it for us this week thanks for tuning in